Leslie. This is Liam. And this is Tim. And we're all trading money stress for real happiness. You are listening to Seeds, usually a 15-minute debrief on young people's common money challenges. But this time, we are stoked to be hosting the Future of Finance series, highlighting our favorite industry leaders and their top tips for managing your money. Today, we're excited to feature Wealthfront. Wealthfront is a next-gen banking service. They help you manage your money for both your short-term and long-term goals by providing a cash account with checking features and high interest, a best-in-class automated investment management system, and a free financial advice anytime you want it. Their ultimate vision is to optimize and automate all of their clients' finances and build what they call self-driving money. They want clients to be able to automatically deposit their paycheck into their Wealthfront account and let them take care of the rest. Whether that be paying bills, topping off your emergency fund or 401k, or investing based on your specific goals and lifestyles. Join them to help turn this industry on its head and build a service that their clients don't just like, but love. Wow. Already inspired by just the incredible organization <laughs> talking to. And representing Wealthfront is none other than Chris Hutchins, the head of autonomous financial planning at Wealthfront. Previously, he was co-founder and CEO of Grove, acquired by Wealthfront, co-founder of Milk, acquired by Google, and a partner at GB, where he focused on seed and early stage investments. He's also the founder of Laid Off Camp, a movement to help the unemployed learn new skills for the evolving job market. Chris, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the great introduction. I'm excited to be here. Welcome, Chris. And, and Chris, as you may know, our, our podcast is designed to help trade money stress for real happiness. Kicking it over to you, what does happiness mean to you and how are you using your own finances to get there? So I'm a pretty big like nerd about the fire and you know, financial independence, retire early movement. Yeah. I don't I don't totally subscribe to the logic that retirement has to mean stop working and stop doing anything, but I think the kind of end ultimate goal for me when it comes to money is just to be able to do whatever it is in life you want to do. And for some people that might be working a job that, you know, they couldn't work their whole career in because it couldn't pay the bills. For some people that might be lying on a beach forever. For me, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm getting paid to do something I love, which is build products that help people with their finances and, and help put people in better positions. And, uh, you know, that's happiness. I think I also have a six month old that was a type of happiness I didn't even know existed. So, um, you know, it's just being able to spend my life the way I want to and work on fulfilling things. Congrats. Yeah, truly congrats. The six month old, that's, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole wealth of uh, new and fun <laughs> and exciting opportunities and moments and things to do. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and it's so interesting how those those uh, almost milestones or focuses change once certain life events happen. So um, exciting to hear about not only your focus in your career, but also kind of on your personal side, what you might be excited about today as we record this show. Um, and I wanted to use that as an opportunity to ask about uh, potentially your your past as, as it relates to finances. Um, we know, especially the three of us here on the show, have all experienced some kind of personal finance challenge that has motivated us to be here today. So I'm curious, Chris, have there been any 
personal finance challenges that you've experienced or, or perhaps witnessed that have shaped your personal journey? Yeah. Let me think. I, I have two, two, two to, to touch on one. Um, when I was in high school, I felt like I was surrounded by a lot of people who were, you know, fortunate for their parents to give them like a seemingly unlimited amount of money. Uh, and my parents, I think were like, well, let's instill some good financial habits and not give you an unlimited amount of money, which at the time I'm sure I resented, but, uh, you know, in the long run was a good move for them. Um, and so it led to all kinds of kind of weird and crazy side hustles. So I was at a boarding school and I was the person that would always order like five Domino's pizzas to my dorm and then go to like down to where everyone was hanging out after study hall and sell them by the slice. Uh, or I would like be making uh, t-shirts for every sporting event that we had or like a big football game and selling those. And so, you know, I kind of took it upon myself to try to find every way to earn like a little bit of extra cash so that if someone was like, hey, let's go to dinner at this restaurant. Um, none of us had cars. And I was always like, cool, do you guys want to take the bus? And this was right outside DC. I was like, let's take the bus and then the Metro. And everyone's like, let's just take a taxi. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta earn my side cash so that I can take a taxi and not feel like I'm really hitting my savings. Um, so I think that was like the, a, a really early one, right? That was, you know, high school before I had a job or anything. And then the other big one was after college, uh, about a year into my professional career, um, I got laid off at the end of 2008. So I was kind of, it was a, a little bit of a surprise. I, did, I totally didn't see it coming. Uh, I had a little bit of money saved, but it was kind of like, you have no job. Uh, and it was like November. And it was a real bummer because I thought the meeting was about talking about upcoming bonuses for the holidays. And so it was definitely not that. Um, and so that I think put me in a, a new outlook of like, how do you just kind of find a way to do something with your time that's exciting and fulfilling and can advance yourself, even in a world where getting a job, which, you know, December, 2008 was not a good time to look for a job, both because, you know, right or between Thanksgiving and the holidays is never a good time to look for a job. And in 2008 was never a good time to look for a job. Um, and so that's when I ultimately started starting, uh, I guess an organization called laid off camp. And we ended up doing about 20 events around the country where we brought together people from all different kind of walks of life who'd, who'd lost or, or kind of fallen out of full-time or any part-time employment uh, in the wake of the 08 crisis and kind of brainstormed everything. People started companies out of it. People started freelancing gigs. You had people who'd been in the workforce for 30 years teaching you know, 20 year olds, how to interview and how to be successful in an interview. And then you had the 20 year olds turning around and teaching the, the people in their forties or fifties, how to use LinkedIn. Uh, and so it was, it was really cool. And so that kind of spurred a bunch of entrepreneurial ideas. I met a lot of startups and that kind of like really engulfed me into a, a career of random things that, that were really tied to kind of entrepreneurial community in the Bay area where, where I was at the time. Awesome. Yeah, I can definitely tell you got that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and speaking a little bit more about, you know, graduating kind of into the financial crisis, as you mentioned, you know, getting laid off a year into, um, you know, year into graduation. Many of our listeners are recent grads and obviously, you know, due to the pandemic recession have graduated into a difficult situation. Um, as you reflect on your own journey, um, you know, starting that those startups and, and, you know, kind of finding your way after you were uh, laid off in 08, what do you wish you knew when you were building that relationship with money? 
and then how have you kind of like adjusted and, and um, built off of that? Yeah. So I think there, there's kind of two versions of this question. It's like, what do I wish I knew about money earlier in my career? And what do I wish I knew specifically relevant to getting late, you know, having no job a year after graduating? So I'll start with the latter and say, you know, I, I think the good thing about a terrible circumstance is that you don't really have enough control. So you don't like, it's not like I needed to know that, uh, you know, things would be okay. Like I didn't have a choice. Things had to find a way to be okay. Um, so I, I was pretty grateful that I could learn a lot of those lessons earlier. So I think the one thing that I wish I had known is just how much of an opportunity being, you know, kind of thrown into a gritty, crappy situation, uh, financially, professionally would be for my career and would teach me things that I, you know, wasn't expecting. So I think specifically with regard to a, a situation that many, many kids coming out of college right now might feel of, of a poor job market. It's like, it just forces you to be scrappy. It forces you to hustle. It forces you to figure things out. And those skills like stick with you forever and they will pay dividends in the future, which is a bummer because they do not pay dividends right away, right? Like they, you can't, you know, go into the grocery store and buy groceries with your hustle, uh, you know, that you could say, look, I work really hard. Can I have, you know, I, I you can't get anything with that, but in the future, it, it values so much, uh, adds so much value to your career. Um, outside of that circumstance, things that I wish I had thought about, I think one of the, I mean, there's the obvious answer that uh, everyone gives, which is like, gosh, I really wish I really totally understood compound interest, but not just compound interest, but compound interest and market returns. It's like people always say compound interest and, and associate interest with a savings account that might earn, you know, half a percent or a quarter percent or something. But, you know, pairing that up in your kind of experimentation with a calculator of like long-term market returns makes the, you know, equation much better. But I think the one that's probably a little bit more unique to how I think about money that I wish, maybe, maybe I had this early, but I think would help lots of people is I had a different mindset about savings and spending that I think most people do. So mine was that every dollar I earned was like a save. I saved it. So that it went straight from any paycheck, any side hustle, anything. And that was my savings. And then if I had to pay rent, if I had to go buy groceries, if I wanted to go out to dinner, I was dipping into my savings. So like the decision of, of everything was every dollar I earned could be saved. And so it just had a different framework of what that money's for. And I talked to lots of people who are like, well, I make a thousand dollars and I want to spend 800 and then I can save 200. It's like, is the last dollar that you spent of the 800, like if you only spent $799, is that last dollar really better spent on whatever you spent it on or better spent on yourself in the future? And so I default put everything into save and I like have to justify spending all of it as, as what it could be in the future. Yeah, Chris, to, to your first part of the answer, you, you talked a lot about career progression and kind of what people, what maybe people that are graduating college or entering their first job or second job early in their career, what they can be preparing for and how it relates to your experiences. So I think that's a perfect pivot into this future of finance topic that we have for the series. I'm curious to understand if you have any uncommon but strong opinions about what lies ahead for your average American and, and why that may be. It's funny. I, I, I am not short of like contra controversy, willingness to state things that are completely contradictory to common opinions. But when it comes to like 
the future for the average person and, and their finances. I'm like, I, I generally expect the market over the long run to perform like it has over the last hundred years. And, and I generally expect interest rates while, while really low right now to probably go up at some point and then go back down at some point. And um, so I feel like the future of finance, sure. Do I think that we'll start to see an evolution of things like what's happening with cryptocurrency and the blockchain and where that goes? And there will always be these kind of new waves of things. But in general, I feel like I have a very uncontroversial opinion about the future and that uh, you would be better off trying to say, what's the thing that you know has worked for a long time and do that instead of sit on the sidelines for five years and kind of wait to try to figure out what the future will hold. Um, mm. I do think that something the future holds that hasn't really been you know, as prevalent in the past, which is something that, you know, I work on today, but it is a broader theme is just, there's now technology that can basically take over a lot of the work, like moving money 30 years ago was like, you write a check or you bring cash around. And now that money can move online. So it, seamlessly and that you can kind of so expressively state your intents on a mobile device and be warned of what's going to happen with a push notification. It really gives the opportunity to fully automate things which, you know, maybe the, the four of us on this podcast like love our spreadsheets and thinking about moving money around on the weekends. But at the end of the day, there becomes a time in life. And I feel like I'm now on the other side of that where I'm like, I don't want to think about it. And, and I think something that we won't have to do in the future is think about all that, that nuance of money movement. Think about all of the managing of everything and kind of be able to put it on autopilot. And, and, and obviously state your intent. I want to keep this much for spending and I want to automatically put my money here when there's extra, but not have to be like, well, how much is there right now? And let's schedule that transfer and, and where do I want to put it and all that kind of stuff. So I do think that that's something that that's coming that, you know, I think if you talked about self-driving cars 10 years ago, people would have thought you were crazy, but you know, you could see the evolution of um, cruise control to lane departure warnings to, to autopilot. And I think we're starting to see a lot of those uh, early stages of, of full automation with your finances already. At least, at least I'm working on building them. So I know some of them are there. <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, um, potentially your title as head of autonomous financial planning might, might be influencing that more than the average American. But obviously hearing such incredible jobs from you already, Chris, around uh, what it means to automate and then also what it means to avoid certain traps, whether it be thinking about money as spending money rather than savings first, or just in general, not waiting on the sidelines for things to happen. So I'm, I'm curious and I want to follow that into the next question, which is, do you hear, and I'm sure you do, but what failures or bad advice do you hear around money management and how would you advise someone to avoid them? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at the last, uh, I don't know, month or two, there has certainly been no shortage of people that, uh, we're talking about all of the money you could make by investing in like a handful of things that, you know, GameStop being maybe the leader of them. Uh, and now there's all kinds of discussion online about uh, NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which are, you know, things that live on the blockchain that you can buy. And, and they've been kind of crazy and that they've been skyrocketing in value. And we've seen this in the past with everything from like tulips, like, you know, century ago to, uh, to Beanie Babies and, and whatnot. And I think the everyone wants to feel like they have control of their own destiny 
And I think sometimes it feels like you have more control when you actually pick the exact specific thing and it's different from what everyone else thinks. But like, I, w- I would say you can also have an opinion and, and control and pick the thing that everyone picks. <laughs> and I don't mean everyone like everyone makes good decisions. I mean, everyone like maybe you just invest in all the things. And, and I'm obviously and Wealthfront are big proponents of like globally diverse passive investment strategies. Uh, and so I would say right now, everything that that's been happening in the market has been entertaining. And I think it's it, it certainly, if you were going to decide whether you wanted to go spend $20 at a casino or $20 betting on a meme stock, like those are, that's your prerogative. You just shouldn't view that as an investment. Um, and, and it's not to say it isn't legally categorized as one, but with the volatility that's happened in the last month, I think it's pretty clear to see that, um, no one knows what's what's going to happen with the market. I think COVID was a great example of, you know, basically everyone getting it wrong, right? Like everyone got the recovery to the market wrong. And if you were trying to individually bet on what would happen tomorrow, you'd probably get it wrong. And uh, we continue to see people say uh, on television, like, I know what's going to happen. This is going to happen. And the reality is we don't really judge people for being wrong. So it's so easy to go on on TV and say, you know, this is going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. And if you're wrong, no one talks about it. If you're right, you know, you're on every channel on the, on the you know, every YouTube channel tomorrow and, and you're, you know, every Instagram live, everything, because you were the person that got it right. But, you know, for every person that got it right, there's probably a thousand people that got it wrong. And so kind of glorifying the people that got something right, that was so impossible to get right. And, and trying to emulate that, um, you know, I think, I think it's fine if if you're treating it as entertainment, but if you're treating it as the, your life savings and your ability to, you know, reach financial independence earlier, it's just a really risky proposition that I don't think people would be comfortable with if they thought through it. Definitely, definitely totally agree there. Um, I wanted to circle back now and talk a little bit more about Wealthfront and kind of that autonomous innovation. Um, how has, you know, the autonomous banking at Wealthfront evolved over the past few years? And would you say that's kind of led to Wealthfront being a leader in the fintech space? Uh, and then outside of that autonomous innovation, what else do you think has been instrumental in Wealthfront's growth to the leader uh, leader in the fintech industry? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at Wealthfront uh, as a company, we're building the best way to increase your wealth through investing. And, you know, investment accounts do a lot. Uh, but they don't do anything if you don't put money in them. <laughs> so uh, you could have a, a, the best investment account in the world. And, and if you don't put any money in it, it doesn't change your financial situation at all. And so I think the natural evolution for us was, okay, so first we can build a, you know, an investment account that's completely automated, uh, that has things like tax loss harvesting that we, we've now seen kind of more than pay for the, the fees we charge on it by, by a factor of 3x uh, or more. And it still doesn't do anything. It doesn't do as much as if you put more more in it, right? The, the ability to grow with the market is, is directly correlated to how much money you put in the account. And, and the biggest barrier to people investing was two big things, right? It was how easy is it to get that money in? How quick is it to get it in? And how much work is it? And, and so if it's, if it's how fast and how, how much work, then that's what led to a, a product roadmap that ultimately was, allowed us to launch a cash account, which was kind of a high interest alternative to having a checking account at a regular company that not only paid interest on everything, but made it really easy uh, to transfer money into your investment account. And now that's a same day process. And so you could take money in cash and invest it right away. 
But, you know, just being able to do something quickly still requires the overhead of making it happen. And, and that's really what kind of inspired our, our big, you know, push towards self-driving money and a goal to organize and, or automate and optimize all of your finances. And, and when you can take away that burden of managing how much money you have in your account and how much is available to save for the future and where you want it to go and, and how, how you want it to go there and how much, and you can just remove all of that overhead, you allow people to do the thing that they wanted to do in the first place um, and, and, and to do it sooner and more frequently than they would otherwise do it. Um, so automation has been a huge component of that. It's something that, you know, we're kind of uniquely positioned to do because we've built our own brokerage infrastructure, uh, other than Robinhood, no one else has done that in the industry, uh, in the FinTech space. And so we, we have, you know, a, a pretty big advantage in, in the infrastructure we have and what it enables us to do. It's so inspiring to hear you talk about the evolution and movement towards self-driving money, because I can certainly attest as a, a company at, on the seed side that focuses on bringing peace of mind, making it easier to digest. I, I wish that more technology companies were thinking along the lines of you and your team. So I'm curious, Chris, as you look to maybe the next year or two years, what are some of those questions along those milestones to self-driving money that you and your team are trying to ask yourselves to keep making sure you're, you're ultimately moving towards this, this visionary goal? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the biggest one it, we learned was when we launched the kind of first iteration of features towards self-driving money, um, you know, we let you say, here's an account that I spend my money out of. And, and anytime there's more than a certain amount. Let's say I, I need $3,000 for spending. Anytime there's more, put it in my investment account. And what we realized is people's finances are, you know, sometimes more complicated is not the right word, but they don't just all live in two places. And so some people, and they don't all focus on one goal. So it's not just here's my money to spend and here's my money for retirement. It might be here's my money for a down payment and here's my money for a wedding. Uh, or here's my money so that I can afford to quit my job and start a company or just to set aside for emergencies. And when we realized that, we realized the, the next kind of natural evolution for self-driving money is really just supporting all of the things your money does. So when you find extra money, it's not just putting it to one place, it's putting it to wherever it needs to go. So you know, later this year, you'll be able to say, I, whenever you find extra money, make sure you keep my emergency fund topped up. I need $15,000 in there no matter what. And if it ever drops down, fill it back up. And after that's done, let's start setting aside $100 a month towards this vacation I really want to take. And, and, and let's set, a, set aside another $100 um, towards a wedding that I'm planning. And then let's put all the rest in my long-term investment portfolio. Or let's put you know, some in my IRA and some in my investment portfolio. And so that's something that I think you'll see us add on to kind of get us closer to the realization of kind of full self-driving money. Um, and, and is a really big component of understanding our clients. Uh, it's something that we spent a lot of time trying to build a deep understanding of and, and letting them put it all into action. That is an exciting roadmap, Chris. And that's just the beginning. I mean, that's just like early this year. Like, who knows what the rest of the year will include? Sure, sure. And I, I, you know, I feel like, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I guess we'll have to wait. And I am a a Wealthfront customer, so I can't wait. Thank you. Um, and yeah, absolutely. 
you build a great product. <laughs> and what we are seeing here, Chris, is, is many finance companies are realizing that these traditional resources, and you're describing all these innovations now, right? You know, they, they've reached historically undeserved populations, right? So can you share more about what Wealthfront is doing specifically to try to help kind of level this playing field with accessibility of information? Information. Yeah. And, and not just information, but just products, right? If you look sure. back at the founding story, uh, our, our co-founders, Andy and Dan, kind of came at this from two perspectives. So Andy was a career venture capitalist, um, you know, really a legend in the industry. And Dan kind of came out and, and saw the aftermath of the 2008 crisis. And they thought, gosh, why do only rich people have access to kind of sophisticated investment products? Right, products that could rebalance your portfolio yeah. and tax loss harvest and invest in you know a diverse portfolio of ETFs. And so the original goal was let's take this product that pretty much exclusively a decade ago was something you could only really access with a financial advisor once you had a million dollars, sometimes $10 million, and let's just make that available to everyone. And so the, the original founding story was how do we do that? How do we uh, bring something and, and democratize access to uh, financial products that have kind of always been reserved for only people with lots and lots of money. And, you know, so when we launched our, our high yield cash account, um, we, we ended up, I think, having a $1 minimum on that. So like we, we've been trying to make sure mm -hmm. that all of the products we build um, have that air of accessibility to everyone. So we recently revamped our mission to be one where we want to build a financial institution that favors people and not institutions. And we think that's really important to the brand we're building. Uh, it's really important to the company we build. And, and that's why people come to work uh, at Wealthfront, because that's something they care about. And, and that's something you'll see in our products. Um, you know, the when you succeed, we succeed kind of mentality um, in, in everything we build. So for us, if you look towards the future, I think we've we finally gotten to a point where you have access to these products, but there's not necessarily the education and awareness of what they are. And that's something that is going to go beyond just something we can control. Um, you know, you all know that this isn't a topic you learn in school. It's not a topic mm -hmm. you talk about with friends. Uh, and, and the more we can keep kind of pushing education and awareness out into the world, making products easier and easier to get started. Uh, you know, we can, we can take what is already an accessible product anyone can use, but, but be more pervasive and, and something that everyone does use. Absolutely. And love the people centric approach to that and, and mission revamp. So kudos obviously to you and your team. I think it's particularly timely as at the moment we're recording this episode, we are still in a global pandemic um, that has unfortunately hit millions of households financially. And, and Chris, I'm curious about how your team um, approaches this idea of almost the emotional aspect of, of money and the emotional aspect of managing your money. Um, as you think about the customers that might be coming to your platform feeling overwhelmed or helpless, or in other words, discouraged, how does your team think about kind of almost designing products or even just trying to service those customers given the burden sometimes that they're carrying? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go to any kind of legacy 100-year-old financial institutions website and then go to wealthfront.com, you'll see a very different like visual kind of design that that is is, I would say, much more like 
approachable and people centric than, than many others. And, and that feeling is pervasive throughout the product. We want to make it um, welcoming and, and fun to explore and safe uh, for people to get started because we know that big financial institutions aren't that. And, and that's been a problem. And I think especially uh, in a world right now where there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people, we want to build something that's not just a product, but partnered with education. And so we have tons of content on our website that you don't have to you know, pay us to become a, a client to access, right? We put that out there for everyone. Um, I think just an, something to think about, which, which is independent of our product, is that unfortunately, because we don't talk about finance and money with our friends... Um, you know, at, at least we do right now on this podcast, but, but it's not as common. People just should, should anytime you're stressed out about money, kind of pause and think about the fact that this is something that it's easy to feel like is, is, is unique to you. And you're the only one facing these hard financial problems. But the reality is there's millions of people facing the same problems and, and you can see it in the statistics, but you might not see it in, in conversations with your friend, friends. And, you know, it might feel uh, you know, easier to just go out and, and have a drink with a friend. But I actually would challenge everyone listening to this to pick a friend uh, or a group of friends uh, over a, a virtual meal, uh, you know, given, given the current environment or on a walk and, and someone you've never brought up the topic of money with and just tr bring up something. Talk about your student loans, talk about your budget, talk about investing. And I think that what you'll realize is that people are all interested in talking about this. They just don't know how to start the conversation because it's so kind of taboo in our culture. And so my challenge to you, and, and ideally even before you're feeling overwhelmed, is to, to try to have that conversation with one person and see where that goes. And I think you'll probably quickly realize that, that it's actually a more comfortable conversation than you thought. And that hopefully by doing that before you're overwhelmed, uh, you'll find yourself in a place, you know, a as inevitably we all do, where where finances are are more stressful than they were the month before, the year before, and now you have a support system of people to talk to because you've built that over time. Uh, and I think hopefully, I don't know how long it will take, but hopefully we can start to kind of have a society that that functions more like that on average than something that you have to feel like strange bringing up with friends. And to kickstart some of those conversations, Chris, for our listeners that maybe are in those 20s or, or even, you know, just graduating college, maybe even getting close to their 30s, in their 30s, what are some financial metrics that you recommend they are tracking? And, and how might that change over a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think just getting started, there's, there's a handful of things that I think are important to think about. So one, um, your savings rate, just like how much am I saving? Um, you can think of it as a percentage. You can think about it as a fixed number. Honestly, like I care more about you just thinking about it than, than how you think about it. Um, just thinking about it is so valuable to your future and, and go throw that number in, uh, you know, a compound interest calculator and, and you'll be wildly, wildly shocked at how much it can grow over your life. Um, you know, when you're, when you're young, you probably aren't thinking tomorrow about buying a house, uh, but I can tell you that you know the the amount you pay to buy a house is is pretty related to the amount of interest you pay on your loan, which is pretty correlated to your credit score. So I would say even though you might not be in a situation where you're planning to take a loan out tomorrow, um, 
you know, working on your credit score as, as something that you can build towards will, will add, add a tremendous amount of value when you're ready to take out that loan to buy a car or to lease a car or to buy a home. And, and it's something that fortunately there are products like Credit Karma that, that make it really easy to track and to understand how to improve. And I certainly have a handful of people who, who I always talk about credit score, like how do we treat it like a game? Like how can we get this number up as high as possible? And it's fun. Mm. Um, this isn't really a metric, but I think just understanding the kind of like stack rank priority of places your money can go. So, you know, you might have student loans, you might have an emergency fund, you might have your long-term investments. And if you start to think about all of the options for where your money can go and prioritize them, it makes it really easy to figure out where to save. So if you have student loans that are like 12%, like that should be, you know, absent, uh, you know, an emergency fund to cover, cover something, you know, like losing your job, like the priority should be cutting back on, on those student loans. And, and it might feel like you're not making progress towards your future, but, you know, I, I, I talked to a friend once who said, gosh, I have money in my savings account, but I would never want to take it out of my savings account to pay off my debt. That would be crazy. I, I, I wouldn't be saving for the future. And I was like, your debt is growing at a rate that is going to eat into your future faster than your savings is going to grow. So like, you know, if your debt's at 9% and your savings account isn't earning like a certain 9%, which if it is, let me know where you're, where you're putting it. Cause I would like to put some money there too. Uh, you know, paying off that debt is actually, you know, you, a more optimal kind of financial decision. So, um, while that, well, that's not a metric, it's just, I guess, understanding where in the, you know, stack rank of investment options, uh, or, or sources to put your money you are now and trying to bring that down. So you might start at, I have high interest student loans is the best thing, but you know, as you get further and further in your career, you're like, gosh, the best thing to do is invest in, in the, in my investment portfolio. Like that's great. You move past emergency fund and short-term goals and you move past debt. And, and now you're kind of squarely focused, uh, you know, on building wealth in the future. And then I guess you asked how that changes. I'm like, gosh, I feel like I'm, you know, almost a few decades past that now. And I'm like, not much has changed. Uh, I'm still focused on uh, how do I maximize my savings rate? Uh, I think I, I've, I've been fortunate to get past the, the credit score game. So I feel like maybe, I, maybe I've, you know, once you, once you hit, I think like above a 760 credit score, it doesn't really affect your interest rate. So, uh, you know, get a little past that and you're probably fine. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing that changes is not the metrics. It's that, you know, somewhere between your twenties and thirties, most people start a relationship and a family. And now you're tracking metrics for two people, uh, or, or are you tracking metrics for one combined set? Like there's big financial decisions there and, and, you know, how, how to start thinking about these decisions and these metrics with another person it brings a whole new set of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say challenges and opportunities. Mm. Super helpful. Um, and and I, I feel like I'm already sad that this show is coming to a close, but Chris, honestly, so many important takeaways. I think number one, everyone listening to this episode, your homework is to reach out to one friend or one sibling or one trusted source to start that finance conversation, no matter how awkward it is, we're pretty sure among the four of us here on the show that you're 
uh, friend or loved one is probably thinking about similar things as you. So what one, just take in that homework, the minute those AirPods come out, text a friend, I know you can do it. It's probably already on your to-do list. And, and Chris, for me, I'm, I'm mainly taking away this idea of making money warm and friendly and exciting and, and a safe space that I think Wealthfront has done so well so easily. And from that perspective, expanding that not just to, you know, how I think about the next couple of weeks or my monthly budget, but how I think about even my future and almost thinking about that retirement that you were mentioning in the beginning as not this static, like 65, can't wait to put in my two weeks, but thinking about my future as something that is kind of within my control and might actually look very different than retiring at a country club. So, so, so grateful for you for dropping all of those gems on our show. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> yeah. Leslie, just on top of that, I cannot agree more. Um, you know, when you speak about planning for the future, what I really take away is how automation is and is going to continue to evolve to help with that. You know, we spoke about how f even five years ago, you know, you kind of had to do this all manually, do it on your own and kind of plan your future on your own. And now, you know, as Chris spoke about that innovation and that automation is going to help you plan for your future and, and kind of save those uh, plans for those savings goals um, by just entering in, you know, some general information and, and really help maximize and, and get you there and take the personal uh, human element out of that. And you could do that today. Like if I had one takeaway, mm -hmm. it's go automate something related to your financial life, whether that's automating, mm -hmm. you know, a debt payment or, a, you know, a transfer to an investment account. Um, like the best way you can kind of make sure your money's working hard for you is to take all the work out of managing it. Absolutely. So two pieces of homework. We're, we're adding on here, but I hope you got to take a note. Okay. We're texting a friend and we're automating something. Do it. It'll take like five minutes max, but truly our community here at Seeds, the Wealthfront community are all collectively pursuing happiness through those better money principles, systems, and habits. So Seeds listeners, continue to let us help you achieve your goals and celebrate you when you do. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or Twitter with your reactions to the series and your questions for future episodes. If you don't follow us already, you can find our handles in the podcast description. And, and lastly, big time shout out to Chris for joining us, dropping some gems. My, my third piece of homework, power of threes, right? is to chris said it best save a dollar right the barriers to entry to a lot of these saving platforms are so low chris has worked really hard at wealthfront to make it accessible for everybody right so some something like a high yield savings account something like getting started with an investment account at least be putting whether it's a fixed number a percentage aside at least be putting something aside um chris you mentioned something about automation as your biggest takeaway but any final words for the audience here that was my takeaway. I shouldn't have dropped it. Five, I shouldn't have dropped it three minutes ago. But I stole it from you. Yeah. My, you know, I think I think we summed it up great with three three things: automate something, save something, and talk to someone about money. Beautiful. Tie it up in a bow. And in the meantime, go ahead and check out Wealthfront. 
I know Liam mentioned he's a customer. I am a customer as well. And we would not have them on this series if we didn't seriously believe in what they were doing. So check them out on social media. Check out the, the very low barrier to entry tools they have access to. And in the meantime, we will catch you next week for the last episode in our Future of Finance series featuring a special guest from Klein Credit, where their mission is to make career creation and transformation more accessible, affordable, and accountable than ever before. In the meantime, see listeners, enjoy your week. We will talk to you soon. We're signing off.